Hey, thanks for checking out this sermon. It's designed to help you take your next step with Jesus. And if you haven't been able to make it to one of our campuses and participate in the time of giving, you could do so online through our website or by texting to give so that you can continue to participate in the mission that God has given us. We hope that God speaks to you through this sermon. Well, today we are in week two of our series called God Is, where we are attempting to unpack and describe the characteristics and qualities of God. What makes God, God? On all of our campuses, for those joining us online and from the prisons, how do we as finite beings begin to attempt to understand and explain an infinite God? And the crazy thing about it is we're trying to do all this in the middle of summer, the time of year where we've been conditioned since we were children to allow our minds to rest. And we're trying to understand an infinite God together during summer. And and so we have our work cut out for us. But I hope you'll agree with me that this is good work that we're doing together. And, uh, And I'm really looking forward to this whole series but, uh, but speaking of summer, I know that there's a bunch of parents in the room that are in the middle of summer vacation with their kids. And, uh, and summer poses some interesting challenges for us, mostly because our kids are home with us. And, and don't get me wrong, like I, I love my son, but, but summer started about a month ago and, and I was so excited because the routine of like school pickup and drop off and everything else that goes into that was coming to a close. But now, like I said, we're a month in and, and I would be fine if school started again tomorrow. Uh, and like, I, I love my son, he's so awesome, but, but when we spend a significant amount of time together, we, we tend to butt heads, uh, mostly because he can be a little butthead. And, <laughs> and like take last, last Monday, for instance, we were hanging out, Monday's my day off from work, and, and my wife works all day on, on Monday, so it's, it's Jericho, Jericho's and my day together to hang out and, and have fun. And it's usually awesome, but that wasn't the case on this Monday. Uh, on this Monday, Jericho said, hey, dad, I want some lunch. And I said, okay, cool, what do you want? And he said, shredded cheese. And I was like, oh, okay, that's a weird lunch, but your mom's not home, so I don't care. Let's get you some shredded cheese. <laughs> and and uh, so we got him shredded cheese for lunch. And he said, dad, can I, can I eat this in the family room? because I wanna to continue to watch the cinematic masterpiece, Boss Baby. And, and I said, yeah, because that is a cinematic masterpiece, totally. But you can eat it over there under one condition. Do not spill. And then my son proceeded to spill everywhere. Like it was like he thought the shredded cheese was confetti and he was celebrating the women's US soccer World Cup victory. And, and he was like, there was cheese all over our couch, uh, somehow on top of our ceiling fan and, and had instantaneously fused with the carpet. And, and I stayed calm, but I said, okay, Jericho, you, you made a mess, you need, to go, you need to go clean it up, go get the vacuum. And he said, no, you clean it up. Yeah, we had a problem. 
So, so I, I said, I looked at him again and said, no, you made the mess, you clean it up. And he said, fine. And I was like, I thought you were six, not 16. And he, he started like walking to get the vacuum and he did this like inch by inch walk, like staring at me the whole way, like he was trying to destroy my soul and it was, it was working. And, and so I, I, it was, he was taking longer than I thought. And so I was like, hey, hurry up. And for some reason, me saying hurry up just caused a terrible reaction. He, his face turned red and, and, and his, his eyes started to well up with tears. And he looked at me and he said, daddy, you're acting like you're the king. And I was like, oh, okay, like I, and so I, you know, in my patience and in my compassion, I responded back, because I am the king. <laughs> Jericho and I from then had a spirited and mature debate about my kingship, my kingship. He said, no, you're not. I said, yes, I am. He said, no, you're not. I said, yes, I am. And then, and then Jericho kind of calmed down. He was the first one of us to calm down and... <laughs> calmed down a little bit, and he looked at me, and he said something so interesting. He said, Daddy, kings just tell people what to do. You're my dad, not the king. See, on that day, Jericho brought up some interesting tension that I think we need to work through in our father-son relationship about how he views me as father, but also he brought up some tension that I think comes to mind when we view God and how we tend to understand and experience God. And a big reason is because if we read the Old Testament, we, we, we see that God is most often described in the Old Testament as king. That's, how, that's what the, the audience of the, of the Old Testament, that's how the authors described God. He is king. But then when we go to the New Testament, we see that God is most often described as father. This is, this is how Jesus understands God. Uh, you, you see this even in the, in the way that Jesus teaches us how to pray. The first line of the Lord's Prayer is, Our Father who art in heaven. This is who Jesus knows God to be. He knows God to be Father. But regardless of this, God's kingship has tended to play a larger role in Christianity than his paternal nature. I mean, even if you look at the end of the Lord's Prayer and how, how, how it closes, or at least what we've come to know of it as, we, we know that it says, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. Well, the interesting thing is these words that seem to emphasize God's kingship and divine sovereignty aren't actually a part of Jesus's original prayer, but were later added on as a doxology. To God's kingship has played such a large role in Christian thought. And maybe it's because theologians and church leaders like myself tend to emphasize a more logical line of thinking. And as a result, we avoid some of the more sensitive topics or the things that deal more so with feelings. You'll hear church leaders and pastors and theologians talking about the kingdom of God being at hand and a call to repentance in light of this, which is very true. But like most things, when it comes to God, there's so much more to it than that. Now, theologian John Cobb argues that when we read kingdom of God in scripture, it's the Greek phrase, basileia theo. This, this translates to kingdom of God. When we read this in scripture, we need to understand that this is not the only way to understand this phrase. 
Uh, Basilea is a politically defined region. It, it could be a kingdom, as most were in that day, but Basilea doesn't include kingdom as the only definition. Its definition is not strictly meant to, to mean kingdom. And so when we, when we take a closer look at this, we understand that maybe the reason we've translated this to kingdom is because if we understand God as king, then of course we're gonna read this phrase as kingdom of God. But another way we could look at this is if we begin with the understanding that God is father, then we might read Basileia Theo as the family estate of God. And I think there may be a different perception of God when we think of his family estate being at hand and not just his kingdom. Because when we read in scripture, repent for the Basileia Theo is at hand. Repentance, literally meaning to turn, would not then just be a turning to a kingdom to fit under the kingdom's rule, but also it would be turning into a family. Now here's why this is important, and this has been so helpful for me as I have tended to focus mostly on God's kingship and sometimes lose sight of his paternal nature. It's important because when we only understand God as king, then the way we respond to God, the way we talk to God, the way we live for God can look a lot different as we understand our place within his Basileia Theo. You see, and, and we, can't, we can't miss this, we are not just subject within God's monarchy, but we are also, each and every single one of us, child within God's family. And one of the biggest areas or thoughts where this is prob probably most prevalent today is that if I just view myself as a subject within God's kingdom, the, the kingdom of the one we learned about last week, God is all powerful and all knowing. He is infinitely power, powerful and infin, infin, infinitely knowing. Then there may be a piece, if that's the only way I look at God, there may be a piece of God's character that we miss out on. And the potential missing piece is found in Jesus's explanation, understanding, and experience with God. This is who Jesus knows God to be as we read through scripture, that God is a good father. Not only is he infinitely powerful, not only is he infinitely knowing, but he is also infinitely good. If God were not all good, then regardless of his power and regardless of his knowledge, if that goodness of God were to be missing, then we would never be able to trust and love God as our father. And I think this is the struggle for many in 2019 in our current cultural context. So the question then becomes, can I trust that this statement is true? Can I trust that God is a good father? And some of us were brought up in religious settings that defined God as almighty smiter, ruthless monarch, the ultimate judge who hates sin so much that if you sin bad enough, even if it's one time, he will send you to rot in hell. Others of us who are here developed those same notions about God without growing up in a religious setting that taught us this. But regardless, I don't believe that those statements accurately depict who God is. As we study scripture and we understand the relationship between God and Jesus, 
And we see the father that Jesus knows and the father that Jesus shares with the world. I think we can come to the conclusion that the statement that was just up here is true, that God is in fact a good father. But if you're listening to me right now and you feel like your understanding of God doesn't completely align with this definition of God, that he's a good father, then today I wanna encourage you to compare your definition of God with the God that Jesus knows and defines and explains for us in the New Testament. We're gonna begin to unpack this a little bit in Mark chapter 14. Go ahead and turn your Bibles or your Bible apps to Mark chapter 14. Mark is after the book Matthew, which we're gonna spend a little bit of time in Matthew today too, but we're gonna be in Mark 14 to start. If you get to Luke and John, you've gone too far. Uh, Matthew, Mark 14. We're gonna be in Mark 14, starting in verse 36. And as you turn there in your Bibles or your Bible apps, let me give you a little context Uh, We find Jesus in this moment in the Garden of Gethsemane praying to God. And he's facing the most difficult moment of his life as he is about to be betrayed, arrested, beaten, tortured, and crucified in the coming hours. This is all right around the corner for Jesus. And he knows that pain and suffering are ahead. And here is how he talks to God in this moment, verse 36 Here's what Jesus prays to his God. He says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. See, Jesus is facing extreme pain and suffering. In the Gospel of Luke, we read that he was in so much anguish that he was literally sweating drops of blood. That's how much, that's how much stress, anxiety, anguish, pain, uh, that's what he was going through in that moment that he was literally sweating drops of blood, but he still prays, God, not what I want, but what you want. How in the world do you pray that prayer during the worst time in your life? How do you do it? The only explanation I can come up with is that Jesus trusts his father to be good. And we get some more insight with this first word that Jesus says right here, the word Abba. It's the Aramaic word for father. And it's so interesting that even though Mark wrote his gospel in Greek, he found it very important to record the depth of Jesus's feelings by using more than one language. What did we read at the beginning? He said, Abba, Father. This is how Mark wrote it, the the one who wrote this gospel. Abba is the Aramaic word for father. Pater is the Greek word for father. So Mark writes Aramaic father, Greek father. It's so interesting that he he thought he needed to use two languages to record the depth of Jesus's feelings. Now, while Jesus probably knew some Greek, he most likely taught the common people in Galilee in Aramaic. And I think it's also safe to say that his prayer life with God was also in Aramaic. And I believe that he taught his disciples to address God this same way by using the Aramaic term for father, Abba, Abba. It's a word that's patterned after a baby's first call to their dad. It's like our English word, dada, which Just so you know, those were my son's first words because I'm such a better parent than my wife. 
as you guys could tell earlier by my story, like I'm just head and shoulders. No, my wife is a much better parent than me. She's awesome. Love her to death. And hopefully she didn't hear that. Uh, so so it's, 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 it's this word that has this, um, this meaning to it. Uh, this, word, this word Abba, it's, it's, it's so interesting. It begins um, and brings us to the relationship between a father and a child that is consumed with and starts with tenderness and unconditional love. The word, the word uh, Papa would probably be one of the closest English words that we have to Abba. So Jesus cries out in this moment, Papa, take this pain from me. But not what I want, what you want. As one New Testament scholar puts it, the intimate word, Abba, conveys not a casual sort of familiarity, but the deepest, most trustful reverence. The deepest, most trustful reverence. Jesus trusts his Abba so much. God the Father is so good that even in the most painful moment of his life, Jesus chooses to obey. Now, before we, we move into another bit of scripture that I think will help us unpack this thought today, I wanna make sure I address something before moving too far along. Um, I remember teaching a message about the goodness of God a few years back to a group of college-age students. And there was this 20-year-old girl that came up to me afterward and said, Steve, I was getting so much out of what you had to say until your closing prayer. And then as soon as you started praying, you completely lost me. It went all out the window. And I said, oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry. Like I, she was starting to get emotional and I said, I'm sorry. Um, why did that happen? And she said, you prayed, Father God, you are so good. She said, as soon as you said, Father, I was done. And the reason why was because her relationship with her biological dad was so toxic that she could not ever think of God as Father. And so as she explained this, I, I felt terrible and I didn't have a good answer for her. And, 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 and I just said, like, sorry, and tried to just be present in her pain. But as I've matured and grown and understood more of, more of God's intention and leading and desires for us throughout the years, I've realized that I could have been more helpful that day. And James Bryan Smith in his book, The Good and Beautiful God, has helped me a lot with this. Here's one of the things he says. He says, the problem is that we begin with our understanding of what father means and then we project that onto God. He goes on to say that it should be the other way around. We should let God define what fatherhood means because God the father existed before any other father existed. As one of my friends said to me this week, God is the OG. He's not the replica. He is the original. Fatherhood is first defined by God and Jesus. That's the origin. So instead of abandoning the thought of God as father or allowing any bad experiences with biological fathers to shape our understanding, my encouragement for us today would be to allow Jesus to define father for us. You see, that girl that came up to you that was crying and, and was processing her, her, her troubles with her biological dad and how she was projecting that onto God, she was never ever going to hear from me, hey, Jesus called God father and so should you. That, that's not something she would hear from me. It lacks compassion and, and grace. But what I wish I would have said to her 
what I wish I would have encouraged her in, and, and I feel this way about any one of you who are here today, any one of us that's struggling with a, a relationship with a biological father and how that affects our, our view of God, I would have encouraged her and I encourage you to allow Jesus to define what father means because I think when we start there, it helps us to begin a journey toward healing. Beyond that, if we wanna dig a little deeper here, as, as we look at Jesus' understanding of his Abba, the more it seems like we can talk about God as father and God as mother. Because God has very paternal qualities, but he also has very maternal qualities. And like Pastor Steve mentioned last week, God exists outside of gender. But there are always limitations when it comes to language, so we do our best with what we have. Words are never enough to explain God, even though I'm doing my best today by using a bunch of words. But in an attempt to avoid confusion, I will refer to God as Father and use masculine pronouns the same way Jesus did because Jesus seems like a great person to follow after and follow his pattern. Um, but at the same time, I would like to encourage us and push us and challenge us, challenge us to not just think of God within these limitations because God does exist outside of gender. He's so much bigger than that. And I hope that at least some of that is helpful for any of you who may be struggling with the idea of God as father because of your experience with a biological father. Okay, so let's move on to, uh, to Matthew chapter six and, and see how Jesus, uh, Jesus defines father for us. Hold your spot in, in Mark, four, uh, Mark 14 because we'll get back to it in a little bit. But we're gonna look at another prayer from Jesus. And this is not a personal prayer from Jesus, but rather an instruction on how to pray. And I think this does a good job defining God for us, but let me just be clear. We can never get the all-encompassing view of how good of a God uh, and how good of a father God is with just looking at a few verses. Um, if, if you wanna get a picture for who God is and how good of a parent God is, just take all the awesome qualities from all the great parents that you've ever met and multiply them by a thousand and then we still wouldn't be scratching the surface of understanding how good of a father God is. But I think what Jesus does here in Matthew 6 gives us a great, uh, great start in understanding his Abba. So uh, chapter 6, verse 9 is where we'll start. Here's what we read. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I think through this passage, there are about six things we can really draw out about the character of God as father. And again, James Bryan Smith in his book, The Good and Beautiful God, did a phenomenal job in unpacking some of this. If you need a summer book to read, I encourage you to pick this one up. He walks through some of the characteristics we're gonna be studying, but also a few others, and he follows each one of them up with specific spiritual disciplines. This book has been so huge for me in my journey with Jesus, and so if you're looking for something to read, check that book out, The Good and Beautiful God by James Bryan Smith. But again, let's take a look at the, the six things that I think we can learn about God the Father through this prayer. And the first thing is by looking at the first line, our Father in heaven. We learn through this line that God is near. And that might be like, how does God being in heaven mean that he's near? Let me explain. To a Jewish audience, they would have understood that statement as God in the statement, God in heaven, not as a statement to God's distance, but a statement to God's nearness. 
In Jewish cosmology, heaven was not far away. It referred to the atmosphere around them. So when they read God is in heaven, they go, oh, he's, he's near. The next line that Jesus teaches us how to pray, he says, hallowed be your name. We learn from this that God is holy, that God is, God is pure, that God is uh, um, without sin, that there's nothing bad about him. After that, Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Through this, we learn that God is powerful, that he does have, have a kingdom that he rules, that he's in charge of, like Pastor Steve talked about last week. The, the Basileia Theo is what God's in charge of. But he's not just a monarch or, or dictator or ruler because he also cares for us. He gives us this day our daily bread. God is caring. God is a caring God. He provides, he meets needs. Jesus continues, forgive us our debts. God is forgiving. I love how the psalmist writes about God's forgiveness when he says he has removed our transgressions as far as the east is from the west. What a beautiful picture of God's forgiveness. And then Jesus reiterates that here, God is forgiving. And then lastly, lastly, God is protector. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He leads and delivers. God rescues us. You see this right here. This is the father that Jesus knows. This is what a good parent looks like. And I feel fortunate and to be honest, maybe even a little bit guilty because I know this isn't everyone's experience, but this is so similar to my experience with my dad. He exhibited a lot of these qualities to me growing up. And what's interesting is that when you, when you have a good parent, you end up really wanting to be like that good parent in so many ways. And for me, it ended up being what I do for a living. I mean, what do you think my dad does for a living? He does this, what I'm doing right now. And what do you think Jericho wants to be when he grows up? A police officer. So <laughs> there's that. The other, the other day, Jericho said to me, hey, dad, I'm going to have six kids. I'm like, good luck. And he said, I'm going to have six kids. Three of them are going to be, he calls them a police. He's like, they're going to be a police. And three of them are going to be, what do you do again? It's like, thanks for being so encouraging, son. You mean a lot to me. Um, but here's the deal. If we trust that this is who God is, then I think this is who we will attempt to be, not just as parents, but as human beings. This is who we will attempt to be in our lives because this is what's modeled from us by God. But I'm probably jumping too far ahead because before we move any further, I think it's important to ask ourselves the question, is this my definition of God the Father? Is this who I trust God the Father to be? And to be honest, I've struggled trusting these characteristics of God these characteristics of my heavenly father during difficult times throughout my life. It's caused me to ask questions like, God, if you're so near, why do you seem so far away? God, if you're so holy, why is there so much evil in the world you created? God, if you're so powerful, why is there so much pain? God, if you're so caring, why is there so much need? God, if you're so forgiving, why do I feel so much shame? God, if you're so protective, why did you let me fall? See, when tragedy hits, when pain and hurt occurs, it's almost like it's easier to think about God as a king that's just sitting up on his throne, just pointing his finger, telling people what to do, not caring at all about what happens to his subjects. But this isn't who God is. Yes, he's the king, but he is a good king and he's also a good father. 
This is what I've come to experience, but I think the only reason I've been able to experience it is because this is Jesus's experience with his dad. In the first scripture we walk through, when Jesus calls God Abba, he asks his father to take away his pain. And I think pain is something that each and every single one of us in this room can say, yep, I've experienced that before. We all have pain in our lives, something that life throws our way that we just can't quite deal with. A sickness, a lost job, a death, a breakup, loneliness, whatever it is that, that has hurt you or is hurting you right now. And the crazy thing about this pain or this loss or this suffering is that it can cause us to question God's goodness as father, that we don't think that this is necessarily who God is in moments of difficulty. So maybe a good question for us today would be to ask ourselves, what has caused me, what has caused you to question God's goodness. What is making it difficult or has made it difficult throughout your life to trust God? And I'm not necessarily talking about some big existential crisis with you and God. Like maybe there's something small that has happened that has caused you to wonder like, hey God, where are you in this? What's going on? I don't see how you have any hand in this and I know you have your hand in everything. Something that just makes our our trust get a little rattled. You know, this past week, I learned about a 16-year-old kid who was shot and killed at the Taco Bell a half a mile away from my house. He was a student at the high school that sits a block from where my family sleeps at night. And even as a pastor, as a devoted follower of Jesus for well over a decade, I found it difficult to trust God in the midst of that painful situation. I didn't see where he was in that. And that's not even something I'm dealing with directly. I mean, the, the things that cause me to question God's goodness seem insignificant compared to what that kid's family is processing right now. But even still, stuff I've shared with you before, my dad's cancer, my, my son's hip disease, the, the inability for my wife and I to adopt a child, these have all caused me at points to, and at certain levels, to question my trust in God things that I've had to work through and process that have made me wonder if I would ever be able to pray and cry out to God, Abba, Father. But what I've held on to and what I hope you'll hold on to is that somehow Jesus, when we take a look back at Mark 14, somehow Jesus in, 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 the, in his pain and in his suffering still defined God as caring and protective and was still able to cry out to him, Abba, Father. Dada, Papa, I know you're with me. You know, the first time I went to Israel, I remember kneeling down in front of a tree in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I started thinking through how the blood-soaked sweat of Jesus had sunk into the very ground in which I was kneeling. And as I processed this, I was completely broken. Like I lost it. But I sat, as I sat there and I thought through Jesus's prayer in that very place. And I thought about what he prayed and the words that he said and that he still talked to his father that he had seen provide in extraordinary ways who he had, he had never seen break a promise and the God whose, whose love had never wavered that he still chose to affectionately cry out to his God, to his father and call him Abba. And I think this is what has helped me to view God as father in my times of pain as well. Because for Jesus, God's love was proven. That's what he trusted. 
And so in the most painful moment of his life, when he's on the verge of more suffering than I have ever experienced and probably ever will experience, he prays to God, not my will, but your will be done. You see, he isn't treating his next step toward the cross as obedience to a command from a king. He's not taking some directive from a king, but is instead trusting the known love of his Abba Father as he journeys toward the cross on our behalf. And so as I sat there with my face in the dirt in Gethsemane, processing the trusted response to known love that Jesus, that, that defines Jesus' relationship to his father, I, I understood in a new way that that same love defines my relationship with God as well. And it doesn't mean that when I see all the terrible things going on in the world that I just go, eh, it's all good, God's got it. But instead, when I face pain or walk through someone else's suffering alongside them, I'm able to, to choose. I've, I'm given the opportunity and, and I can choose to declare my trust in Abba, who even in that moment for Jesus, he still knew to be good. But maybe that doesn't quite do it for us. Maybe that doesn't quite answer the question because while Jesus knew God to be good, how do we know God to be good? You know, if you're struggling with that question today, like I sometimes do. I'd encourage you to not just focus on your pain or your suffering or the hurt you are feeling right now. And that's all real and I'm not minimizing it, it at all. But I challenge you to not just pay attention to those things. Try to also focus on your blessings. Focus on the abundant provisions of your father just like Jesus did. Seriously, if you find yourself struggling to trust God because of whatever it is you're going through, spend some time thinking about all the ways in which your father has proven his love to you. And for me, there's so many different areas where I overlook this. My wife, my son, my parents, my sister, my friends, my job, my church, my home, my, my, my eyesight, my ability to, to taste and smell and touch and hear. These are all blessings from God. The fact that I'm breathing air right now, the fact that my heart is beating as I stand before you, these are all proof of, of God's provision and their provisions from God that I frequently overlook. I forget how regularly he proves his love for me. So if this is a struggle for you, I wanna encourage you to take 10 minutes or maybe if, you, if, if you're gonna come across this struggle because something happens in the future, take 10 minutes and write down the things that God has blessed you with. Think about the small things you overlook. Pay attention to the details. Look for everything that you see and experience that makes life wonderful and then thank God for them. Like this past week, I walked by a dog and I was like, that is an awesome dog. I love that dog. That thing is so cool. And then I thought, oh my goodness, God created that. I never would have had that thought had I not processed through this message this week. But I was like, oh my, like this is, this is so incredible. Like just the joy that I can get from, see, from seeing a dog. It, wouldn't, it definitely wasn't gonna be a cat. But <laughs> there's some cat people here that are like, you have lost me. Uh, but seriously, like there's, there's little things in moments that just allow us to just see, see God's goodness. And then I think as, as we do this, I believe that the far-reaching implications of the words we read in 1 John chapter 3 will, will just have just a new intensity and new, um, it, it will just mean so much more to us when we understand what this means in our lives. And this is the way one translator put it, consider the kind of extravagant love the Father has lavished on us. He calls us children of God. It's true. We are his beloved children. My loved ones, we have been adopted into God's 
family and we are officially his children now. What a beautiful statement of what it means to be in the family estate of God. You know, when we read in scripture or when it's implied in scripture, this concept of adoption, do we really understand what this means? See, my my wife is adopted and, and all three of her siblings are And when her mom and dad chose to adopt them, they looked at those kids and said to them, I legally promise to treat you like my natural child. I legally promise to treat you like my natural child. And this is the same thing that God says to us. He says, you are mine. I want you. I choose you. You are my child. I love you. Such a beautiful picture of what it means to be in this family. Earlier this week, and I'll, and I'll close, close with this, I read something that Pastor Timothy, uh, Timothy Keller tweeted a few years back, and, and it, just, like, it just made me smile. Um, he said, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have access. We have that kind of access. You know, even though I'm the king of our household, like I told Jericho a few days ago, it never stops that kid from waking me up about every other night for something. This morning it was pretzels at 4.30 a.m. But you know what? I, I, I don't get mad. And I don't try, I don't, I don't hesitate to try and give that kid what he wants and what he needs. And I think that he trusts the truth that he will always have that kind of access with me. And the insane, crazy, like hard to believe thing is that even though I'm trying, the crazy thing is that I I will never be as near, as holy, as powerful, as caring, as forgiving, or as protective as the king of the universe when it comes to each and every single one of us because he also happens to be our Abba Father. What a, what a good, good, good father he is. Let's pray. God, you really are such a good father. And even as I prayed that prayer and I, and I think back to the moment where I prayed that a few years ago and I, and I realized the, the pain that that statement caused for someone because they started without the understanding of who you are and, 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 and what you represent, God. Father, I ask that today that anyone who walked in here with a different understanding or, or, or just a, a tough time wrapping their minds around the fact that you are Father and how great that is for us, God, that, that some of that was just cleared up today. God, that we can look at you and come before you and, and just obey and surrender and follow because we know that you are near, that you are holy, that you are powerful, that you are, that you are caring, that you are forgiving, that you protect us. God, you are such a good God because not even that encompasses all that you are. What an honor and a blessing and a privilege it is to be called a child of the King, a King that lets us in, a King that invites us in, that chooses us and says, you're mine. I love you. Nothing will ever change. My adoration, compassion, grace, mercy for you. God, you are so, so good. I wish I had more words to explain your goodness, Father. But know that we're thankful. 
God, know that we obey and praise and worship you as king, but Father, we also trust you as father, even in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of things that we don't understand, Father, that we can't quite wrap our minds around, we still choose to call you Abba because we know that you are good. Father, continue to remind us of your blessings, remind us of your provisions, remind us of the ways that you care for us and love us and help us to lean on one another and lean on you in times of hurt. God, we love you, we adore you. So grateful for today. Pray this in the matchless name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.